This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. America's greatest film school. I am one of your employees of Blockbuster Video who always checks out your video with a smile and never says anything slightly evil or facetious to you as you check out. And I'm Alex Bonner, and I'm joined by your also extremely diligent, extremely, how should we say this, hardworking manager of the Blockbuster Video, Mr. Nicholas Souter. How's it going? Hello. I do house calls. <laughs> I will blockbuster video manage anywhere, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Who let the horse in the basement? <laughs> well, Nick's dead, everyone. Looks like this is going to be a one piece. I don't know if I can talk that much. Oh, oh spoiler it's alert. ghost. <laughs> He's here. He's Ooh. still drinking all your booze. <laughs> it's the ghost of Alex's dignity. Oh, so sad. Holy shit. I can't hit the high notes and do the woos. It's all good. It's all good. Nick is still experiencing high school basketball coach voice problems. (gasps) Into the lane! I said do a layup. I didn't say run out there and fumble on your feet. Run out three, run out three. But yeah, so uh, you're probably listening to this because you want to hear some sort of crazy pants history of movies. Well, we're going to tell you. We're doing one a little bit differently than we've done before. We are doing an entire studio. Now, of course, 55 minutes or less. <laughs> and so we had to choose more of a production house studio, and we're choosing one of our great favorites, one of the great logos of all time, Orion Pictures. If you're too young to know what Orion Pictures are, you're going to find out, motherfucker. Orion Pictures ran from, the real Orion Pictures ran from 1978 to 1999, had lots and lots of classic hits, was a big part of that 80s wave of wild <laughs> shit that came out of Hollywood. Had some real crazy people running it, which is why we did it. And uh, we're going to go into it. Nick, what was the first time? That, do you remember the first time that you sort of was like, what is this? I do, actually. Uh, 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 I'll tell you. notes are all a blunder. It's okay. I'll t- do you want to know mine while you're looking it up? No, I want you to listen away from me. Do it, baby. This is a good radio. This is a good radio. People love Dead Air, right? Yeah. That, that was the original name of this show. Okay. You know what it was? It was Three Amigos. Really? Yeah. Okay. And you were psyched about that? You know what it was? I was a moron. No, Three Amigos is... You know what? Three Amigos is pretty funny. Huh. It's gotten funnier as I've gotten older. It's very like... Racist? Yeah. And like dad cheesy jokes. There's a lot of jokes it's like, <laughs> they're dressed up and they're white. Do you get it? It's like, yeah, I, I get it. I have to say this. I think Martin Short is like a national treasure. I think he- Martin Short's amazing. He really, it blows my mind that there were movies that Martin Short put out, like Clifford, that like adults didn't get. I went and saw Clifford twice in the theater. Me and my brother were obsessed with it. My mom hated it, thought it was so stupid. To my mom's credit, my mom just has this thing where she doesn't like movies where mean things happen to children. <laughs> And if that happens, no matter what it is, me and my brother are cackling at problem child. And she just didn't like that. No one wanted the kid. And I was like, cause he's evil. He's a little shit. But my mom didn't like that. She didn't like that. Someone didn't like this kid. 
And so just the entire movie was screwed. It's like people who have a weird problem with the ocean and they're like, I can't watch Jaws because the shark is there. It'll scare me. You know, and that's my impression of every wiener who won't watch Jaws. You're talking about one specific per- no, person. No, I am not. That who is, was in the no, bar no, yesterday. No, no, no. I know exactly what you're talking no, about. No, no, that also, is, no. Also, no. Many times. Also. That is literally the movie that many, many times people have said to me, I can't watch it. I can't watch Jaws. I'm frightened of the ocean. And I'm like, you hairless land monkey, shut the fuck up. Like, it is, it's not real. Also, Clifford was an Orion film. Good segue. Thank you. <laughs> you are learning. Um, he's become sentient. Uh, we're going to get into this. I only passed butter. Orion put out movies from like James Cameron, Demi, Oliver Stone. Lots of, they had Milos Foreman, uh, Woody Allen. They had a bunch of movies. Womp, womp, womp. Womp, 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 womp. They had four movies win Best Picture. Yeah. Four Best Pictures from yeah. a production house that was only around for like, like 20 years. years. They did in eight years yes. in one. Yes. And we'll get into those. They won two years in a row. They also had two more. They got nominated for Best yeah. Picture. This isn't like Universal or something. This was a, a small, uh, maybe we should go into that a little bit. The difference between like studio slash production house slash big studio, little studio. Now, in the 1950s, there was a very famous trial where the big studios, the big five and the little three got broken up by the government because they were a monopoly. They ran the distribution, the exhibition and the production of movies. And the U.S. government said that was a monopoly. And literally, the studios made all of their money off of exhibition. Like, if you wanted to see a 20th Century Fox movie, you went to a 20th Century Fox theater. If you wanted to see an MGM movie, you went to an MGM theater. There were exceptions to this, of course, because, like, Disney, for instance, was an independent studio, and they would be distributed by one of those theaters that would let them play. But what ended up happening was they made them split up, and so the big thing was the studios could no longer do exhibition. So independent companies became in charge of movie theaters, as we have now. Uh, a couple of them still exist, like AMC, Kurosotes is a Japanese company, but they've been around since like the 70s. So these companies took over and Hollywood had a big problem because they were like, okay, well, production only costs us money, but distribution is how we're going to make money now. And so after that, the big studios who in the golden age, if you will, in the 1930s and 40s, they made so many fucking movies because the distribution and the exhibition made them a bunch of money. So it was like, just keep putting fucking movies out. And it was a very different business model. They would hire actors and put them on contract and hire directors and put them on contract because it was more like a football team, you know, in the sense where it's like now you had players who are signed to your team and you had coaches who were signed to your team. But imagine if all of a sudden you no longer make money off of the tickets to the game. You only make money off of selling tickets to go to the game and none of the concessions. It's I know that's the dumbest. Yeah. Movie nerds, I know you love sports analogies. Nick, you love sports analogies. You mean the game from Unnecessary Roughness? That's correct. That's correct. From the one with the, the, the water boy. You had to go there. Didn't you? You, had, <laughs> you can't go. Dude, the water boys are a great movie. I got into an argument the other day of what was the best football movie. That gets crazy because a lot of football movies are very bad. Uh, most of them are bad. Most of them are bad. The replacements with Keanu is kind of fun. It's kind of fun. But it's pretty stupid. Scott Bakula, Unnecessary Roughness, is yeah. is bad. It's truly. Yeah. It is. Kathy Ireland is the kicker, though. That's fun. I want tens. <laughs> we'll do a sports episode. That'll be a fun movie episode. I'll tag uh, in temps for that one. <laughs> 
You know so many sports movies is insane. You, I love Tepsis tattoos he has on his knee. Oh, he has so many one sports. One just says baseball, the other one just says football. That's right. That's right. He has all of his favorite XFL teams. Yeah. The Alabama Jacks. But so anyway, okay, so after this, by the 1970s, the studios are like, oh, shit. We need to figure out what to do. And this opened up the door a little bit to independent cinema had been on the rise because studios were making all their money off distribution. They would take shots. They would take shots with Cassavetes or smaller guys who made money. They made the movies themselves with their money and the studio didn't have to invest any money into this. All they did was like split the profits of the, you know, of the distribution. So the studios were like, this is, this isn't a bad idea. And a lot of the big producers kind of say to themselves, Oh shit, maybe we should start our own production houses that make these movies. And then we can come up with exclusive deals to our friends at, the big ones. And that's what ended up happening. There were some dudes who worked for United Artists. His name was Arthur B. Krim. That was a big dude. Eric Paleskow. He's very heavy set. He, I, a producer who's heavy set? It's crazy, no, right? No way. Was he wearing tinted glasses? He was. <laughs> he was hiding his cocaine eyes. I'm just saying, when you're sitting in a like a movie chair and that's your entire job all the time, and all you do is smoke cigarettes and eat like fucking deli meats. You tend you tend to be a little a little curvier. Let's put it that way. But uh, Real producers have curves. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Hashtag. But these guys basically like I don't know if you know this, but United Artists, although part of the Big Five, Little Three, once Charlie Chaplin stopped running it, was kind of a shit show a lot of the time. Still weird. Kind of had a big comeback. We'll get into United Artists one day when Tom Cruise took over. But basically, these guys were like they're sick of it. They don't want to do it anymore. In the late 70s, they also don't want to just directly go to another big studio where they're not in charge. So they're like, well, fuck, we've got money and we've got backers, particularly at MGM. So they set up and they created a company called Orion Pictures, Orion Leasing LLC, uh, which has, like I said, one of the dopest logos. They set it because there was five original guys who started it and there were five stars in Orion, but there's actually eight main stars. They don't know what they're, they're, they're movie guys. They're not astronomers. They're not here to count. They don't, they don't know what's going on. They have accountants for like that. The, they're all five stars though. There are at least five stars, correct? Yeah, there are. Correct. You are correct. So they started in 1978. Like I said, Arthur Krim, Eric Pleskow, Robert Benjamin. They take over, they start doing it. And like I said, this is the thing. It's like MGM puts up a bunch of money so these guys can form their studio and then they make a deal with Warner Brothers to distribute. So already you're seeing this thing where Orion Pictures is basically making money for two studios and they don't even exist yet. Or the these two big studios are banking on the idea that these guys know how to make money. They've made money at United Artists and uh, they'll find a way to make money. And they basically sign an exclusive deal with Warner Brothers. But like I said, this is the weird bit about these production companies. They could you know, if Warner Brothers doesn't want the movie that they make, they can then go and sell it to somebody else. And I don't know if you know this, but Hollywood finance uh, is boring as shit. And I'm not going to go into a lot of it. But just so you know, it's like more fucking complex than the IRS, because a lot of it was run by the mafia and people who are very good at fucking scheming their way out of fucking paying taxes because we're artists and fuck paying taxes, bro. Fuck that shit. Can we not do this right uh, now? <laughs> and, um, it's a different Nicholas Souter. It's okay. a different one. <laughs> in late March 1978, Orion Pictures signs its first contract, a two-picture deal with, now I don't know if you've heard of this man, his name is John Travolta. Uh, uh, mm, uh, mm, uh, mm. Going clear, going clear. Mr. Gato, And uh, lots of big stars, Barbara Streisand, James Caan, Peter Sellers, Burt Reynolds, 
Francis Ford Coppola, John Millis, Peter Frampton. They sign a lot of people. They're making they're making deals. They're putting together a they, new studio. They are one of the most ambitious companies yes. in film ever. Yes. Can I talk about this? Yeah. The first do it. year they started releasing films in 1979, they released eight fucking movies. Yeah. Eight movies in one year. Yeah. A couple of them, the ones towards the end of the year, where they're just like releasing movies to get them mm-hmm. out within the calendar year, they release them two weeks apart mm-hmm. they are their own competition in the theater yeah to be fair and this is kind of what fucking crim and these guys were talking about while they're at united artists is like you guys dicking around making two movies a year is what's screwing you yeah no i agree their first movie is a movie called little romance i've never seen it and i don't care to i don't even here's know the what, thing yeah they've released some like amazing films right they really have mm-hmm they release a lot of schlock. Oh, yeah. Well, but that's part of why they're fun. That's why we're talking about that. Yeah. Because in that same year, they release a movie called Ten, which I don't know if you guys know what Ten is. Ten's even a little before my time, but it was classic. I've seen it. 1970s. Blake Edwards directed it. But the big star is Bo Derek, mm-hmm. And Bo Derek is Ten. Get it? She's a Ten. And she's in it, and she's hot. That's pretty much all you know. She's got the the braids. Right. And it's the same guy Blake Edwards directed, like, The Pink Panther and Breakfast at Tiffany's and Days of Wine and Roses. And, you know, he, you know, was uh, an old school. Grown-ups, too. Yeah, he was was an old-school studio clown who was clearly very horny. But it was kind of trend-setting because it's like, a middle-aged man who becomes infatuated with a young woman who he's never met, leading to like this weird chase and this weird encounter he has with her. It doesn't age well at all, but in the late 70s... Hashtag rape culture. Oh, uh, yeah. Hashtag fucking misogyny. Hashtag patriarchy. Uh, you know, so this is kind of like... Orion's kind of already off the bat. They're like, listen, we're going to do some weird shit. We're not like the other companies. We're going to try some shit. <laughs> so... 10 is their first commercial success. Apparently it was a critical success. That seems weird. But, uh, dude, 1980, they put out Caddyshack. They put out fucking Doug Keeney's Caddyshack. And if you don't know who Doug Keeney is, he's one of the creators of National Lampoon Magazine. was a genius. He was kind of instrumental in a lot of the, like, Second City Saturday Night Live crew people like bill murray and gilda radner he created the national lampoon comedy hour which was a radio show all those people belushi Aykroyd, a lot of them owe a lot of their shit to doug keeney and all the stuff he sort of pushed forward uh there's a couple of cool movies and documentaries about doug keeney he may or may not have committed suicide who knows he may have died accidentally in hawaii we don't know but needless to say caddyshack but like this is the kind of stuff orion the year before that they also released uh life of brian mm-hmm only in the U.S., though. Yeah, so they're taking risk, And this is the thing. They're getting into distribution. They didn't produce Life of Brian. They released it. They're yeah. already, like, buying rights. They had a weird contract with EMI, which is the main British studio, because England's movies are a little more socialistic in the sense that, like, the government will pay for it. It's weird. It's like they care about their cultural institutions in other countries. So, so, so socialism. <laughs> As opposed to just being like, you know what? Maybe if we're just cutthroat as fuck, culture will come out of it, which... I guess kind of happened in America. I don't know. But they put out Caddyshack and Arthur another about a, a drunken rich guy. He's drunk. Did you know he's drunk? <laughs> yes. And every, every baby boomer fucking was just like laughing their balls. Off. It is interesting that like Caddyshack and Arthur come when if you watch those two movies like back to back, you're like Caddyshack feels like the future. It feels like 
comedy that still exists now. It feels like you think drugs, Danny. It kind of feels like it's always sunny in Philadelphia or something. Yeah. It's it feels like now, and you watch Arthur, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" People thought this was funny. It's sad. This guy's dying. He's, anyway, <laughs> that is also the future, though. Yeah, because if you give him an Iron Man suit, he's Tony Stark. That is. I mean, I watched the shit out of that movie. Yeah, where fucking Dudley Moore is Iron Man. Anyway, so they put out the Great Santini, which if you've never seen the Great Santini, it's actually it's actually pretty great. It's pretty fun. It's uh, Robert Duvall as like a dick dad <laughs> but he's a dick because he was in the military it's it's kind of fun but after that prince of the city sydney lumet's prince of the city philip coffin's the wanderers monty python's life of brian a lot of their 70s stuff other than caddyshack arthur and 10 they're firing shotgun blasts of movies at the u.s audience like you guys are gonna fucking like this we're Ryan pictures but most of it's not doing so hot. It's not failing. These aren't flops, but a lot of them are breaking even. They're not doing great. <laughs> Apparently so much so that like they basically got offered straight up by Steven Spielberg to do. He liked them, was friends with Krim, and wanted them to do Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they were like, oh, we just don't have the money for it right now. <laughs> like, wah, 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 wah. Well, eh. <laughs> Spielberg didn't make any money in the 80s, did he? No, you know what? I've got to look that up, whether Steven Spielberg made any money in his career. I don't think he did. I think uh, a lot of his movies were failures. Uh, By early 1982, Orion basically is kind of in this weird thing where Warner Brothers is like, look, I mean, you guys are cool and you're breaking even, but you guys can kind of do your own thing. So this is good and bad for them because then they they're like well fuck it we're still around we're still renegade we'll just start making stuff we'll start making crazy shit now in the crazy period from like 84 86 which is what we're talking about when when orion goes rogue in 1984 they released 14 movies <laughs> Holy 14 shit. fucking movies <laughs> some of them being like francis ford coppola's the cotton club which it's I will say this. The Cotton Club is actually a pretty cool movie. It just uh, American audiences are racist, particularly in the 80s. But it's not like great. It's cool. It's a cool little time warp to that period of Chicago, that period like of time. If that movie came out now, it would be dope. It would have fucking yeah. Marshall Ali in it and fucking people would be like, this is dope. But it came out in 1984. People were like, what? what, what, what? what? You skipped over uh, First Blood, 1982. Oh, well, see, what I was... I was just getting into, I, I don't know why I wanted to talk about the Cotton Club. I have a weird soft spot for the Cotton Club. I think I just wanted to bring it up because people always assume that there are like three good Coppola movies and then the rest are Jack. And the Cotton Club is one where it's very skillfully made and it's an interesting movie. And I kind of like the Cotton Club, but. How many times have you watched it? Twice. How many times have you watched The Godfather? Whenever it comes on television. How many times have you watched The Godfather too? Whenever it comes on television. How many times have you watched Apocalypse Now? Many times. Like four or five times in the theater. How many times have you watched The Cotton Club? Twice. Okay. That's what I'm saying, though. But when everyone just assumes that, like, Coppola is only, like, three movies and everything else is garbage, I'm like, he had some mediocre ones, too. Okay? All right? That's all I'm saying. But you were right. 1982, this guy fucking got nominated for an Academy Award for Rocky. Okay? He's already kind of a big star. But... Let's try this. And they take the book First Blood. And dude, if you've never... Okay, so this I think would be the first one, I'd say, of Orion Pictures. If, you, if you've never seen Caddyshack, pull your head out of your ass. Like, for real. Okay, first one of Orion If you've never seen Caddyshack, 
you need to see Caddyshack. It's where modern American comedy that we're running around with now starts. It's where Bill Murray starts. Anyways, we'll get into that. But if you want to talk about modern banana action movies. Oh, yeah. They begin, in my opinion, in 1982 with First Blood, Rambo. John Rambo, he's just trying to get, he's just walking around, man. He's just a killer Wolverine weapon from Vietnam. He's not trying to get fucked with by hillbilly dickhead cops. And uh, well, I'm Brad Denny. I'm a hillbilly dickhead cop. And I'm tired of you hippies. <laughs> you say one more guy thing about Brian Dennehy in my apartment. There's a really great story. I'm aping this, but one time Pat Oswalt was telling the story where he was at this like super swanky party and like he felt really out of place because everyone's like super skinny and really like these weird pretty people. And there's this like huge table full of fucking amazing looking food. He's like, oh fuck, fuck. He's like, I want to just like annihilate this table. And, but he like doesn't want to do it in front of all these people. And then he looks over after a while and he sees another guy just like crushing this table full of food, just like eating it. And he realizes that it's fucking Brian Dennehy. And he goes up and starts filling his plate. And Brian Dennehy looks at him and goes, Hey, character actors, who gives a fuck if we're fat? <laughs> I was like, I love that story. That's um, great. Yeah. So do you like Rambo First Blood? Uh, Really? It's good. I actually, I've seen it twice. I it's, don't care. it's one of those ones where I think because Stallone has become kind of a punchline in a lot of stuff that people don't realize how good Rocky and First Blood are. Also because the later Rockies and the later Rambos are also so stupid. These are really well-made movies. They are. They're super like, good. It's the same thing with Rocky. It's just... Yeah. The sequels maybe don't fucking care about them. Exactly. They ruin the brand because they're so stupid. They're fun in their stupidity. They're crazy. Yeah. You know, Weird Al Yankovic does an amazing version of Rambo 2 in UHF. But also an Orion film. Also, oh, dude, absolutely. Uh, also, uh, we'll talk about that, about how they also, Orion, love to release movies on like the wrong weekend. Jeez, what do they go up against? <laughs> like <laughs> that movie went up against Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Tim Burton's Batman. On the same weekend. I feel bad for Tim Burton and Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. They didn't make any money that weekend. Nope. nope. UHF took the box office, set an alternate universe we don't live in. But this is their problem. They have successes with Rambo, which is a huge success. But then they released The Cotton Club, which is like is a fail. Like the 80s in Orion is basically a big success and a massive fail. A big success yeah. and a massive fail. Cotton, like, Cotton Club made cost $58 million yeah, to make. Yeah. And made... 25 in theaters. Exactly. When you count in, when you include marketing, they lost like $50 million. Basically. So when they made Rambo for like 30 and it made like 90, it basically just covered the cost of the cotton club. Like they weren't rolling around in money. However, in 1984, they get their first best picture nod, which is Milos Forman's Amadeus. Another one. If you've never seen Amadeus, Jesus, like, Really? Super producer Brian Tepps has never seen Amadeus. Uh, dude, I'm telling you. It's Here's the thing. I don't know if you know this about Brian. He fucking hates music. He hates music. He's he not good music. at it. No. He's tr he's a trash musician. Uh, no, I that's once a saw him throw a fucking tambourine on his window. Yeah, he also doesn't know anything about classical music or pianos or keyboards at all. So I'm telling you, Brian, you listen. You should give music another shot and you should watch Amadeus. You should dude, also, dude, do yourself a favor. Just rent it on Amazon when you get home. Amadeus is one of my favorite movies. It is amazing. I know it has Jeffrey Jones in it, the pedophile, but even still, Tom Hulse is amazing in it. Um, oh, what's his name? Why, oh, Jesus. Who won Best Supporting Actor? F. Murray Abraham? F. Murray Abraham is Siglieri. And uh, it's, yes. It's, it's really good. And it's so well written. 
And obviously, I don't know if you guys know this, but Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's music is very good. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's sort of like the David Bowie of Austria in the 18th century. He's amazing. He was in the Thompson Twins, right? He was in the Thompson Twins. Yeah. He possibly is one of the robots in Daft Punk. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. But yeah, so Amadeus comes out, but they've been floundering around, breaking even, but critically... They just fucking scored something that is like a coveted fucking thing in Hollywood because they are not a major production house. They are not one of the big studios and they just fucking won best picture. That's hardcore. That kind of slid either way. People will lend you money now for at least a decade. Least, well, yeah. <laughs> like, but then they follow it up with desperately seeking Susan and you code just, of silence. <laughs> a month after they released Amadeus, they released mm. Terminator. Now, is that a movie that we've talked about? Is that's the movie about the toaster that comes to life, right? The toaster comes to life mm-hmm. and goes to Mars. Mm. And he's little and he's brave. Interesting. I apologize. They did they did release Terminator. <laughs> and uh, Terminator was a huge critical and financial success. James Cameron. $7 million budget. Did, now, did James Cameron make any money? James Cameron, I think, he followed this up. Mm-hmm. With a movie about water. Uh-huh. I think it was The Lady in the Water. Lady. And then he directed a bunch of Nike ads. That's right. That's right. And he he, he died in the marina trench in that fucking yep. weird submarine he made himself. No. Terminator fucking blew everyone's goddamn mind. And it still blows people's mind. It's amazing. Everyone was like, I don't know. I don't know. A fucking grungy sci-fi movie that has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, like, and a bunch of unknown actors. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about any of this. And James Cameron was like, shut the fuck up. I somehow am from the future. I preternaturally did- know what people want to watch. <laughs> we do have to mention one thing. Mm-hmm. Orion, not always the best judge of characters. Mm-hmm. He wanted O.J. Simpson to play Ooh, the Terminator. Orion did. Orion did. Yeah, James Cameron did. No, James Cameron was totally against it. <laughs> For many reasons. He's like, look, the juice will not be able to pull this role off. <laughs> no. He will never be able to convince to people. To be fair, though, he is an actual Terminator. <laughs> that is true. Too soon? I don't believe Arnold has ever actually murdered anyone. Wait, that might not be true. There's weird yeah. stories. Uh, but... But yeah, but so, I did it discreetly. <laughs> this was a long time ago. Yeah, so I love Terminator once again. Yeah, I think this goes on the list. Like, listen, team, if you've never seen Terminator, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is happening? What is your life? What is happening? How can and you I know pass people, up watching any James Cameron movie? There was like time one time, a sensible head. One time, a guy told me he was like, he was like, but Terminator Two's so good. Why would I watch the first one? I was like. I was like, why would you have two beers when you can only have one? Like, what are you talking about? I just turned to Jerry Seinfeld for a second. What do you want to... What's the deal <laughs> with Coke Zero? Just watch the Terminator. Anyway, um, yeah, so Terminator comes out, but they make a lot of garbage also. Like I said, Desperate Seeking Susan. I like that movie. It's pretty good. It's, I also like I've the seen movie it a long time. How many times have you seen Desperate Seeking Susan? Once. <laughs> on Comedy Central. I know, you're such a big fan. fucking years ago. <laughs> It's not uh, that bad. Also, I like the movie they released two weeks before that because they can't fucking stop releasing movies mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. or released mm-hmm. movies. Uh, the Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah. Well, there's a Woody Allen. Also, letting Woody Allen get weird with it. I like the Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah. I think it's cool. It's a great it, movie. It's kind of his first. Woody Allen makes these magical realism movies sometimes like that and uh, Midnight in Paris and, you Sleeper. know. Well, Sleeper is actually kind of closer to actual full sci-fi as opposed to like. 
sort of magical movies that are just like, no, some weird shit's happening now. And you just have to accept that. But they made a James Bond ripoff called Remo Williams. The Adventure Begins, starring uh, the guy from Tremors. That was a huge fail. Oh, they also did. They did Return of the Living Dead, Mm -hmm. which cost four million, made 14. Yeah. But he's a huge cult classic right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. They also released Flesh and Blood which is a romantic, erotic, historical adventure drama film directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Rudger Hauer, Jennifer Jason Leigh. I need to watch that immediately. I didn't even even know that existed. Uh, You're blowing my mind right now. I have to see that. It costs $6.5 million to make. Theatrically made $100,000. Jeezy crease. However, though, that's interesting because that's the first time Orion would work with Paul Verhoeven and they would come back to him again on another movie we're going to talk about, which made a little more money than that. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, Orion is very haphazard in their distribution. They don't know what the fuck's going on. However, they do something in this 80s period that also nobody else is really doing from the big studios, which is, and probably how at least a lot of people who are our age... And a little older, and even, you know, you nerds who are younger who watch VHS know that Orion got into VHS distribution. So a lot of movies that Orion didn't even make got put out on VHS by Orion. So that logo would appear before a lot of fucking movies that Orion didn't make. They knew that logo was bringing people in, even if they didn't like the movie. That's true. And also, they were just like, well... If we can't distribute directly into the theater, this whole VHS thing is starting to blow up. So Orion, like a lot of like, like you said, like a lot of weird horror movies that couldn't get distribution. There used to be a term direct to video, which you still use. And if you're old. Right, but I think people still use direct to video. Uh, no, direct to streaming now. Direct, right? But see, it's a little different though because video like, on demand. I think there's just a little bit different though because like if you're direct to streaming, like Netflix made this or. Amazon made this. Yeah. It's like direct to video was you are the triple A of, yes, exactly. of movies. You are you, you are technically you a are movie. Michael Jordan playing baseball. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Sports analogy boy. Yeah. You did it. That's it, Ari. Podcast that's, is it. Over. that's the end of the podcast. That's the Knock last episode. Sell Go fuck computer. yourself. Um but uh I just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm going to Disney World. I'm going to Euro Disney. I'm going I'm going to Tokyo Disney where things get a little wilder and more tentacly. But they did put out a little movie called Back to School. Like I said though, Orion seems like they are a true studio. They've got guys. They knew Caddyshack made a bunch of money and they were like, I don't know, let's fucking give Rodney another movie. That they, movie they has They even a movie after Caddyshack too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember it. But I, I've definitely seen Back to School like four or five times. It has Iron Man in Easy it. Money. Easy Money. Easy Money with Joe Pesci. Oh, yeah. I have seen that movie. Yeah. Once again, I think I saw it on VHS. Jennifer mm. Jason Lee. Yeah. Oh, God. Just could not stop. Also, can her. we just for a second talk about how awesome Jennifer Jason Lee is? Yes, Always has been. Jennifer uh, Jason Lee is criminally yes. underrated. Yes. Yes. She is amazing. She's been nominated for Oscars. She is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, kind of blew my mind it's one of my favorite movies and i truly liked how real and serious she always is in all of her movies existence existence she's in you know so much cool shit she takes risks she does weird shit she's not afraid to get weird with her movies i've always liked jennifer she was married to fucking um uh crazy man for a while right fucking i don't maybe we shouldn't bring that up um what's his face what's wrong with me i've Aronofsky, fucking she was she married Aronofsky for Did a while. She? Yeah, they have like kids together, but like I those kids with Rachel Vise. Which one's Rachel Vise married to? 
It's not Rachel him. Rachel Vise was married to... Yeah, it's not Aronofsky. It was Jennifer Jason Leigh. Let's take it to the board. Do it. Yeah, dude, look it up. I kind of am curious now. There is a, a thing while you're looking that up. In the 80s, though, there is a company called Viacom. Da, 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 da. Mega Corporation Viacom. Viacom buys a 20% stake in Orion, which gives them a quite a bit. Now, it's evil corporation shit, but it gives them. She was married to Noah Baumbach. Oh, and Rachel Weiss was married to Aronofsky. Yeah, and then Baumbach dumped her for Credit Gerwig. Well, we'll get into that. That's bullshit. You don't dump fucking Jennifer Jason Lee. I'll fucking find you, Baumbach. We're going to fight. We're going to fight in the streets. And that's been this segment called <laughs> Blockbuster Film School Gossip. <laughs> also, Noah, listen, man, if you want to come on the show, we're big fans of yours. We like Jennifer, you we're big fans of yours. You can come on. You can talk all about it. We don't know what we're Greta talking Gerwig, about. Greta Gerwig, you should not come on the show because I will not be able to speak. <laughs> it's already It's happening. not because I have no voice. That's already Fuck occurring. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck this segment. I hate it. Okay. Okay. All I right. made a sports analogy. <laughs> Next time shirt off. Put your clothes back on. All right. It's so hot here. It is very warm. Okay, but- Rambo First Blood obviously makes a whole bunch of money, is big, is big, but Viacom gives them a whole bunch of money. There's something called Metro Media, a television communication company controlled by a billionaire called John Klug, which is kind of weirdly connected to Rupert Murdoch's News Corp. Like you said, all the, like, this is boring ass shit. This has to do with like money. Let's just say Orion is kind of the first 80s cocaine filled company that's just like, Wheeling and dealing, staying alive, making fucking movies, and they don't give a shit who they get the money from, which is very, very different than all of the other movie studios that had existed before. Before, there was kind of like a connection to the past, a connection to the old school, a connection to the golden age of the big five and the little three. Orion's like, no, we do our own thing. We're not connected to anybody. We are just us. And then it's up and down. Like I said, Back to School makes a bunch of money. They have platoon which wins Best Picture because everyone was on cocaine and they thought Oliver Stone was good at making movies. You remember when that serial killer told us about how much he liked uh, Oliver Stone last night? Dude, I <laughs> freaked the fuck out about that last night when I came home. Mm-hmm. That guy is insane. Me and Nick may have met a serial killer last night. He tried. No, we definitely did. He's he's definitely on the cusp. We should, he's on a watch list. He wanted to do hypnosis on an entire bar. An entire bar, have him get high, right. film it. I don't want money. I just wanted to do it for a laugh. I just want to do it. I, had, I did it in Vegas for 14 years. I headlined for 14 Jesus years. Jesus Christ. I was like, Jesus. Okay. He anyway. also wanted you to do like some Caligula type stuff to his girlfriend yeah. while he watched and taped it. I mean- I'm not against Caligula type stuff. We all know. That, no, I know. But- also, Taps, how long has it been since we mentioned that movie on this podcast? Caligula. It's been a minute. It's been a few episodes. It's been a few episodes. Yeah. I've never seen Caligula. Show it to your kids. Caligula is a great movie. It's a great movie. It's a fun, fun for the whole family. Caligula, you just sit around on Thanksgiving and after you're done, football's over, watch Caligula. Anyway. Woody Allen makes Hannah and her sisters, which also kind of critically, these are big things. There's a sports movie called Hoosiers about white basketball and how if you just try hard as a white basketball, you could be white basketball. Yeah. And you can overcome the fact that the black athletes are way better than you. Yeah. And fuck Why'd it. you make that movie, Gene Hackman? Because Come on, answers. Come on the show. People love Hoosiers. It doesn't make any sense. But 1986, Orion has 18 Academy Award nominations. More than any other studio. More than any of the big studios. They are this goofy upstart of literal maniacs 
who has annihilated their way into 1980s cinema. They're not even really making a great deal of money, but they're rising up in terms of critical praise. It's crazy. In 1987, though, they have a movie that's very close to my heart. We've talked about it before. It's a little movie about a cop who is now a robot. He is a RoboCop. Alex Murphy is murdered by the dad from that 70s show and the dad from Twin Peaks. <laughs> and he's not taking the, we killed you. You're dead. Fuck it, dead or alive, you're coming with me. It's Paul Verhoeven's, I think, masterpiece. It is the most awesome, violent, satirical, 1980s as fuck movie there is. It still stands up. I have seen RoboCop more times than I can think of. The first Orion movie I remember really like witnessing was as a child, my cousins rented RoboCop and I'm probably like, I'm going to say like four or five years old. And the scene where Ed 209 blows the fucking guy away, spoiler alert, fucking you have 10 seconds to comply. When that happened, I was so frightened that literally my cousins were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I have to watch the rest of this movie. This is the fucking, literally at the time, the craziest thing I had ever seen. And it still is affecting me. You know what? I'm having fucking Vietnam flashbacks. <laughs> I'm having full tilt flashbacks. He's going to go first blood on us. <laughs> Everybody else, <laughs> Caps, run for your life. I've, and also it's well written. It's still well written. I it's don't, a great fucking movie. The I, only movie what that is come- it? I don't remember them but I can feel them like so much spooky stuff about technology and the future and corporations and commercials and satire. And what's spooky is a lot of the stuff that's in that movie. I show it to people who are younger and they don't even process because there's people running around with like iPads and corporations run the whole thing. And they're just like, what? So this is, and it's like, you don't understand that it's exactly what happened. It's exactly what this is. And Man, is RoboCop fucking good. It like, basically, if nothing else, for me, this is my moment where I'm like, if nothing else, Orion Pictures made fucking RoboCop. And if they had never made another movie or never made a movie after that, they fucking pulled that off. They brought back Paul Verhoeven. Even though he had failed for them, they still were like, this is the guy. I mean, dude. Orion was an artist's studio. It was known for a long time as like a director's studio. They would let people do... What they wanted, let them get fucking weird. You could, yeah. you had almost free reign. Yeah. And we'll do a Paul Verhoeven episode where we can go into some deep shit on Robocop. Show girls. Anyways, I'll, yeah. Uh, I want to go over a couple of movies. Mm-hmm. I we love it. Talk, I just want to briefly mention them. Mm-hmm. There is FX starring Brian Dennehy. Hell yeah. And, and that, that Australian guy. Always, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy we can't remember his name. Um, that is a great middle of the day yeah. two star movie. Ah. Uh-huh. We have At Close Range with Christopher Walken Ooh. and Sean Penn. That's the movie where Sean Penn, between takes, pulled a real fucking gun mm-hmm. on Christopher Walken to get a better reaction from him. And that's the take they use in the movie, obviously. Calm down, yeah. Sean. You out of control. Anyway. Not a huge fan of this movie, but it's Jonathan Demme. It's mm-hmm. Ray Liotta. It's Millie Griffiths. Jeff Daniels. It's called Something Wild. It's pretty dope. It's it's yeah. It's also the first time that Jonathan Nemi kind of works with Orion, yeah. and that would come and, back. They'll in, in a couple more mentions. The, yes, yes. And then there's also Radio Days by that fucking yeah. well-known pedo. But it's yeah. a great fucking movie. It's my favorite movie from him. He's the romantic. I, free, I will not go back to watch it. And then we. It's have, good though. God, it pisses me off how good his movies are. I know. 
They're it's so fucking good. He's such a terrible Woody Allen. It's such a terrible human being. Yeah. And then we have. It's not even like my favorite movie of his, but I like it a lot just because it's it's David Mamet's mm. House of Games. Mm. Yeah. How many cigarettes do you think he smoked over under on that when he was making that? Oh, enough to kill all yeah, of us. Ninety million. Yeah. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> He's like a sleepy as a cigarette in his mouth. He's in the shower with a cigarette in his mouth. One I want to toss up before you finish your list. If you ever want to see a movie that's actually a pretty good neo-noir, but it's just basically fucking another guy that they would then let do weird stuff, Kevin Costner, bang, Sean Young, over and over again in the weirdest possible ways. There's a movie called No Way Out, which was like... That is a good movie. It's good. It's genuinely actually kind of sexy. Like, it's not cheesy 80s sex crap. It's like, it's... It's nasty, dude. Like, there's fucking crazy, weird shit, violent shit. You get to see Costner be a little different than the usual Costner. This isn't Bull Durham. He's doing some weird shit, which also would come back. To it. Orion Pictures. Yes, to Orion. Also, this pisses me off. It's mm-hmm. like, when I was growing up, everyone talked about what's a big hit and how great Bull Durham is such a big hit. It made $52 million. Yeah. It's a cult classic, though. And yeah. for me, it's by far the best baseball movie. Uh, I know that's up there because baseball actually has good movies. Um... I believe we're all forgetting a little movie called Little Big League. Uh, or fucking uh, Rookie of the Year. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I was like, what are you talking about? That's not a real movie. <laughs> yes, I've seen Funky Butt Lovin'. I know. Um Did he say Funky Butt Lovin'? I mean, Bull Durham is cheesy, but man, there are a couple of lines fucking it's like, if I throw this at your head, I can throw nine miles per hour. This'll kill you. Word is you couldn't hit fucking water if you fell out of a fucking boat. And then fucking goddamn Mr. Susan Sarandon throws the ball and it fucking just misses just yeah. straight out. And Kevin Costner doesn't move. And it's maybe the most badass thing I've ever seen in cinema. It's more badass than anything he did in the postman. Uh, absolutely. Well, yeah. the postman was who boy. When we do our apocalyptic episode, there will be a whole rant for me about the postman. And I'll be going to go refill the yes, drinks. During that, that is correct. That is correct. Also, real fast. Yeah, keep going. Because the like mid to late 80s, it's like, yeah, they've got some successes, I'm, but a lot of not yeah. successes. Speaking of one of the not successes, this movie made $4 million at the box office. I've never heard of it. I just clicked on it because it's on the list. Bestseller, written by Larry Cohen, directed by John Flynn, starring James Woods and Orion favorite, Brian Dennehy. Oh, dude, they love him. They love, love him. him. They love him. Fuck it. Who cares if we're fat? <laughs> um... I do. Um, do you want to talk about Throw Mom from the Train? Hells yes. Okay. Uh, Danny DeVito's directorial debut? Might be. I don't know. But it's close. If it's not his directorial, but it's definitely his big studio breakout hit. If you've never seen Throw Mama, it's one of my favorite movies. Also, like, it's interesting that we're kind of catching this, that Orion is letting it let Billy Crystal do something weird in that. It let Danny DeVito do something totally different and weird in that. It let, you they know. Let a lot of young people and people who, like, were already established in yeah. comedy do some weird shit. Do some weird shit. And Anne Ramsey won Best Supporting Actress in that movie. If you don't know, she's uh, Mama Fertelli from The Goonies. Oh, Ed! Owen doesn't have a cousin, Patty. It's a classic Hitchcock premise that's then turned into a really dark comedy. And as we know, the influence of Danny DeVito on dark comedy in America is still fucking going. Frank Reynolds is still banging hooers. And going on the Schuylkill River. <laughs> hey, Charlie. <laughs> when he thinks Charlie's dead and he's got the mannequin. Did I ever see you have sex with that mannequin? <laughs> but yes. So 
I love Throw Mama. What, what yeah. else is on that list of like? Also, we have The Couch Trip starring Dan Aykroyd, Walter Matthau, Charles Grodin, Oof. one of the dumbest fucking movies I've yeah. ever seen in my life. I've seen parts of that movie. They have uh, Dominic and Eugene, which is a really like not great movie, but it's sort of sad, anyways. <laughs> Turner and Hooch on that? Um, no. Uh, no. No, that's not them. No. That just seems got, like something they would make. We got Johnny B. Good, which is oh, yeah. Michael Anthony Hall being God. racist with Robert Downey Jr. and Jennifer I, Tilly. I, kind of fun, though. I'm sorry. I know. It's kind, of, in it. it's kind of a fun movie. There was a time period where Anthony Hall was pretty fucking funny. He was a yeah, funny totally. dude. And... He saves a lot of dumb fucking John Hughes movies. He's a funny dude. I'm sorry. He was particularly when he was young. Yeah, but it's it's over now. It, I, well, now he's a serious guy. He does serious stuff. He like does army roles and weird Brad Pitt directed Netflix movies because that's what he looks like. I would totally, if we had money, make a comedy movie with Anthony Michael Hall and see what he does. I bet you he's still. Fun. Let's get it in the put up the money. I'm down. Um, and then there was the Dennis Hopper directed movie Colors, mm-hmm. starring Sean Penn and Robert Duvall. Pretty dope. Pretty dope. Pretty, um, and honestly, kind of still relevant and not yeah. racist, actually. Yeah. Kind of trying something different. Kind of a precursor a little bit to like things that would eventually be made with like The Wire, where like it's not just necessarily that like the people who aren't the cops are bad guys. They're just other human beings who are up to other shit. Yeah, I don't know the last time I saw that, you know? I haven't seen it in like 20 years. I would watch it again. I, I should probably I should probably not praise it too much because I'm sure it's yeah, fucking. It's probably worse than we remember. I'm sure Sean Penn called someone the end bomb on set. Without a doubt. <laughs> probably, it was probably Robert Duvall, too. Yeah. And then there's uh, Monkey Shines, which is <laughs> oh, God. the George Romero a- movie <laughs> about the quadriplegic guy with the monkey, which, come on, Orion, you're better than that. I uh, and then I had a very close person in my life and her very close friend, and they loved that movie. And it was something I actually liked about them, though, was because they showed it to me and they were like, do you want to see the stupidest movie ever made? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I do. And they showed me Monkey Shines. And they cat- during the entire thing because they've been watching a VHS copy of it since they were like 14 years old and dude there's a part the guy gets crippled while he's going for a run with a backpack full of bricks like what like what even is this movie like how much cocaine like George Romero you want to talk about something was lots of cocaine right yeah. at that moment so Pittsburgh cocaine so George, it wasn't that good <laughs> George Romero's nostrils didn't exist the funny thing is the more coke he did the bigger his glasses got um <laughs> And then there's Mac and Me, which oh, I've never seen. Go fuck yourself, fuck Mac and Me. I've never seen it. I you just know it from Paul Rudd yes. showing the clip over and over again. Also, on uh, uh, Conan. Fun fact about Mac and Me: Mac and Me is a co-production between Orion and McDonald's Studios. McDonald's desperately wanted. They registered that fucking ET had made all this money, and one of the I don't think they've ever done it again. They ventured into movie making and went with Orion, and they made a movie called Mac and Me. And if you want to fucking not be able to sleep tonight, you watch yourself a YouTube about promos for Mac and Me, in which fucking Ronald McDonald behaves like he's a real person, and he's like on set in his fucking director's chair, and he's trying, and he's like, I'm on the set of Mac and Me. A movie I'm making with Orion Pictures. And he talks like that. He talks like he's about to... He talks like he's a fucking vampire who's about to eat you. Like, hey, everybody. Welcome to my house. I'm Ronald McDonald. You look delicious. And so... And then Grimace comes out and they fucking finger bang everybody on Oh, yeah. And the fucking hamburger comes out and they just beat him mercilessly. Yeah. Like, you son of a bitch, you hamburgling piece of shit. And then in uh, 
1988, we got a little movie called Marries of the Mob by Jonathan Demme. Yeah, dope. Matthew Modine, Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. and Alec Baldwin. Absolutely dope. Also, I would watch, the, if you've never seen that, that's a fun movie. That's a good movie. Yeah. Jonathan Demme also, yeah. Yeah, they did like three or four movies with him. Coming into his own. But yeah. the late 80s were not so hot for Riot Pictures overall. Uh, they ended up having to sell a lot of their stuff off to Metro Media, which was Klug. Kind of, they keep having to sell off chunks to other fucking corporations to kind of stay alive, get some cash flow going. 1989, Orion suffers from a disastrous, a disastrous fucking slate of movies. Some of the bigger flops, Great Balls of Fire, the biography of Jerry Lewis having sex with his child cousin. Who would have saw that as a flop? Weird. Starring Dennis Quaid and Winona Ryder. She-Devil, starring... Meryl Streep and And the fucking yeah who would have thought of that marriage what's her fucking name Roseanne Roseanne Barr who would have thought of a marriage between Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold right Tom Arnold would be the classy one yes also there's a couple of fails Milos Forman made a version of Les Liaisons Dangereux but the problem was is that Stephen Furs put out Dangerous Liaisons like at the exact same time with Malkovich and Michelle Pfeiffer and Keanu. And it's, it is way better. (laughs) And it won a bunch of Academy Awards and annihilate. Like it was, they were like, Oh, they, I love that when sometimes studios try to fucking do that and it's a fail, but yes. And also uh, weird Al Yankovic's comedy, which I love. I love UHF. It's great. There's things that haven't aged as well, but for the most part, it's actually a very creative, very clever fucking movie. If you've never seen UHF, I would I would watch UHF. They did do Bill and Ted between that, though. They did. They did. I was going to bring that up. But they take Keanu. They make Bill and Ted. One of my absolute, truly heart of hearts favorite movies. We've talked about it in the time travel episode. In 1990, they sign a deal with Columbia Pictures in which the studio that studio pays them $175 million to distribute Orion's movies and TV ideas. So they have more money. It's like this weird bit, though. It's like Orion's just like, you know, they get punched in the face and they don't go down. Well, the thing of it was also they were inflating their numbers. Oh, yeah. And that's the they, thing you could do before the internet. Exactly. It was just lie, straight lie about how much money you had. They were inflating their numbers. They sold off the rights for distribution for the Adams family, yeah. which was a huge mistake. That could have saved the company. Yeah. It was a big hit. Yeah. Big fucking hit. They just released so many like little flops that all the big successes couldn't help. And I, uh, basically, somebody described it as. They had too much debt in one place. Yeah. They needed to spread that out. Right. They sunk their ship in just one point. I know. And they just like, they couldn't see it at that point. They were like, I think it was literally, they were making so many deals to stay alive that they didn't even know which deals were keeping them alive. Exactly. They literally were like, I don't know. We're just making, we have money in this bank account. Make a movie with it. They were throwing everything at the wall and some stuff stuck. Yeah. But they didn't figure out why it was sticking. This may come as a surprise, but. I feel like this is the nature of certain elements also of art plus drug use. I have a theory maybe that like by this point, the late eighties into the early nineties, that amount of cocaine and fucking whiskey was probably starting to fray a lot of your producers. Um, Whiskey's never hurt anybody. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. So they do have two more best picture winners though. Uh, Was it back to back? Was it 89, 90? Or it was 1991. It's fucking Dance of the Wolves. Dance Kevin Costner also wins Best Director. Yeah, they've let Kevin Costner do, uh, you know, kind of his thing. He makes the first massively financial successful Western probably in a long time. Westerns uh, all lose money. Yeah, except Dance of the Wolves. Yeah. 
you know, in Tombstone. And uh, maybe I could just start listening. But uh, <laughs> I don't want to do that. But they win Best Picture. And then the next year, they let Jonathan Nemi direct fucking Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. And it is, I think that massive was hit. massive hit. Best picture, best director, and, best actor, and probably actress. I would also make the argument that of their best picture winners, probably still the most culturally relevant. Yes, probably well, the no. like with fava beans and a nice Chianti. Yeah, right. Everyone, you do that, everybody gets it. If you do, if you go somewhere and you drop yeah. lines from Amadeus or Bladoon, yeah. yeah, people think you're an asshole. People think you're an asshole. Yeah, Amadeus. Maybe if you're in the right nerd group, yeah. you know, like too many notes, yeah, Mozart. But for the most part, though, like. People know who Clarice and yeah. fucking Hannibal Lecter. Up until Lecter, a couple of years ago, Hannibal Lecter was still on TV. Even fucking Goodbye Horses, when it comes on, I'm just like, I'd fuck me. Would you fuck me? Oh, wait. Also, was, was she a great big fat person? Also, What's that special, uh, I'm doing that right now. Oh, yeah. Special podcast shout out to amazing character actor yes. Ted Levine. Yeah, Ted Levine. Ted, if you will ever come on this show, oh, fuck oh yeah. my God, you will have the best Chicago experience of your life. Mm-hmm. We're talking pizza. Non stop falafel. Non stop falafel. <laughs> but but it would be unfortunately the Silence of the Lambs would kind of be the, the last great yeah. hurrah for the amazing. Orion Pictures, they they tried to sell to 20th Century Fox. The 20th Century Fox looked at their books and was like, you guys aren't even really a company. Yeah. And they're like, you guys are literally a shell game. And they're like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. And then they ran out of the boardroom. What <laughs> they were was, they didn't realize it, but they were basically factory records. Yeah. Where they're like, they didn't own the rights to any of the music. Exactly. And they've been selling, well, because they had to sell stuff off to get other stuff made. Yeah. Like you said, they're failing, but they make The Adams Family, which is a yeah. huge hit. Barry Levinson, right? Barry Levinson. And R.I.P. Uh, Director of photography Julia. on that, Barry Sonnenfeld. Mm-hmm. Adams Family, also, you have to see it. I mean, it's amazing, especially the first one. The second one's great, too. Oh, dude, the second one when they go to second camp. Second one's better. The second, second one's, one's better. You know what? I mean, there's interesting arguments to be made on both sides, but yeah. I, uh, we could talk about that. Uh, also, though, real fast. In between the hits of Silence of the Lambs and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, for some reason they thought it'd be good to release a sequel to FX mm. and release FX2 for $16 million Ooh. and it makes 21. Ooh, Come on. Who boy. Who boy. Um, yeah, but the Adams Family and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Interesting that Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. It's kind of like the last great Orion movie in terms of successes yeah. at the box yeah. office because it's about purgatory and about, you know, kind of you fucking yourself up. The uh, irony was probably it, lost on them. Those movies are very magical movies. They yeah. they truly express something about the American condition that I don't even think people realize when they watch them. I want to talk about two movies real fast. Yeah, bring it up, man. Hit them. Uh, we got Mystery Date Ooh. Um, starring Ethan Hawke. That's about mystery, the date. Guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this movie has Fisher Stevens and B.D. Wong in it. Is he in brown face? It is so, no, it's not. <laughs> That's why he's so unrecognizable. Um, not a good movie by any means, but it was on Comedy Central a lot mm. at three o'clock in the afternoon. Fair. So it has a special place in my heart. I come home from school and be like, what am I? Oh, mystery date? Yeah, I could definitely get my I homework could... <laughs> done. And then Jodie Foster's directorial debut, Little Man Tate. Yeah. About a gifted child who like hates life and everybody hates him. I watched that movie and I remember it's a bummer. It's a bummer. It's such a bummer, but 
this is going to come up a lot in this podcast. Mm -hmm. It starts off with early nineties. I know my voice is all fucked up. No, it's more that I just had this thought in my head where I was like, Jodie Foster's a fucking bummer. She is a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) She is such a bummer. Like I love her. She's so talented, but she is a fucking, she's such a bummer. (laughs) She's like, what's the saddest movie I can make? Yeah, that's what I want. This will do it. But it starts off where she is this, Poor single mother yes. raising her son in New York City. Yeah. And it is still one of the last movies. It's like if Rain Man had no fun in it. Uh, that is saying a whole lot. <laughs> it's true, though. It's like Rain Man without the cheese balls. I'm just saying, Rain Man's like, okay, I love I'm, your, ships. I'm your lunatic professional gambling brother, and I've yeah. decided to help you. It's like, I'm just your mom of your Hi, autistic. I'm David, Ar- I'm David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> I'm just a mom yeah. of an autistic kid. But in the beginning of the movie, we get some glimpses of the once glory that was New York City mm-hmm. from the Scorsese movies and all those mm-hmm. 80s like fucking B movies that I love. Agreed. So that movie has a special place in my heart where it's like It's a good movie. It's a good movie. If but you like why the really fuck like would punch you watch you a, the whole thing. I know. If you like but some people if I have friends of mine who love fucking sad movies. If you like sad, if yeah, Brian Tepps likes super producer, Brian Tepps likes sad movies. If you like, what's if, your favorite sad movie, Brian? You know what? A lot of people shit on you, Big Fish, but I of the later Tim Burton is by far the best. And I'm going to say something really strange right here. Mm. The movie that makes me cry every time I watch it, mm. it's always at the end. Yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm not kidding. That's the straight up truth. Hey, hey every look, time I watch it, I, I turn it off earlier and earlier every time. For me. I fucking literally lost my mind bawling my eyes out when I was a child when I watched E.T. And someone took me to go see fucking John Williams. The last thing that they played was the huge fucking opus score that ends the last 20 minutes of E.T. and ends on that fucking amazing fucking bum, 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 bum. I was like fucking just like fucking sobbing in a fucking in front of John Williams in front of like I. I'm, I'm kind of tearing up now just thinking like E.T. is fucking next level. It literally yeah. was like my parents got a divorce. I just fuck it. I can't. I can't fucking yeah, handle yeah. it. I can't fucking. And that's um, the end of this segment of Blockbuster <laughs> Film School. Yeah. Men with emotions. <laughs> fuck you. You're crying. I'm not crying. But yeah, that's kind of at the Oscars in March 1991. Seminal Oscars host. And I'm a big fan of his. Mr. Billy Crystal made a joke. That was, this is verbatim the joke. Reversal of Fortune is about a woman in a coma. Awakenings is about a man in a coma. And Dances with Wolves was released by Orion, a studio in a coma. Whoosh. Whoosh. Shade. <laughs> knife you, knife you, knife you. Knife, gang, knife, gang, knife, gang. knife, knife, And I love it. in 1991, they filed bankruptcy. They filed bankruptcy. And that kind of was it. Um, the story goes on, but it's not the original. Exactly, the original it gets band. it gets sold off, split up. The name the name is still around. The name is still owned, just like Blockbuster is owned by like fucking you know this podcast. L- <laughs> I think it's owned by LG, the Korea technology company. They just own a lot of like corporations just bought up names and then hid them in a closet so no one could ever use so the, so that their rivals could never appear again. But yeah, um, like the next year, Billy Crystal made another reference to Orion. This is what he said. Take a great studio like Orion. A few years ago, Orion released Platoon. It wins Best Picture. Amadeus wins Best Picture. Last year, they released Dances with Wolves. Wins Best Picture. This year, Silence of the Lambs is nominated for Best Picture. And they can't afford to have another hit. 
But there's good news and bad news. The good news is that Orion was just purchased, and the bad news is it was bought by the House of Representatives. <laughs> A fucking wow. wow. <laughs> God damn, Billy. But he's throwing shade, but he's also saying that this was a little era and Orion was this little moment where from the 70s to the 90s, a upstart company of just guys with connections in Hollywood could make a fucking movie. They could make a studio, a legit studio that kind of competed with the big dogs. It it didn't just kind of, it did, but they didn't know what they were fucking doing (laughs) all the way and they didn't know how to go about it all the way. And also this is the moment this is the moment where mega corporations see the moment where they can start buying their way into things and shutting down the pieces that don't mega corporations are good with their money. They do know how to, you know, and a studio run by artists who take chances with artists who are just kind of like, yeah, freewheeling with the money. That's not what fucking Viacom's into. That's not what King world is into. That's not what Disney Marvel ESPN, ABC is into GE Universal. That's not what they're into. They tried a couple more movies. They put out some other stuff. They put out some 90s stuff like Clifford. Like Clifford and Car 54, Where Are You? Yeah. Which is based on the old TV show. But at what point after you file bankruptcy, do you think it's a good idea to make a movie based on an old 50s cop show starring David Johansson and the guy from Scrubs that was in Platoon? At this point, they were just like, I don't, they know don't give fuck. a shit. They don't give a shit. This, this, this point, is the B team. All these people are fired. Yeah, exactly. They're throwing darts at a board and going, <laughs> okay, so we got Charles Grodin mm-hmm. and. Uh, He's a thing. <laughs> and Martin Short. What's he going to play? And they throw another board of nouns. Yeah. A child. Yeah, and but to be fair, that was it. That was kind of it. That's where we're going to end it. I don't want to go into the fucking dark ages of... Because also another thing starts to happen by the mid-90s, which is when Orion also tanks out, which is a thing called DVDs, which this time the movie studios and the mega corporations also were not fucking around now where they're just yeah. going to let upstart distribution companies fucking run around distributing the DVDs. They're like, hell no. Half the reason the DVDs happened was because they were like, how many fucking random assholes have distribution companies where they have contracts for big movies on VHS? Like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that shit ever again. Home video, quote unquote, home video is half our fucking business. And, you know, in the early 80s, it was like 5% of their business, but they were not doing it. Okay, so, well, Orion's just a name that MGM owns. MGM is bought by Sony. Sony fucking owns MGM, TriStar, Columbia. Ironically, I will say this. That fucking thing that happened in the 50s, that lawsuit that kept you from being a distribution exhibition production company. Now, through backdoors of corporations, Sony owns Curasotes. So you could be a big mega international corporation who owns these things, but you can't be one movie studio. And I don't want to get too much into conspiracy theories, but I think there was already a little bit of a writing on the wall of like big business wanted into Hollywood. Yeah. They wanted that shit. They saw the money. And they hated that it was just owned by artists, mob guys, and fucking weird accountant dudes yeah. with, with a fucking what happened to adrenaline look out the, What fix. happened to looking out for the mob guys? I'm Italian. I mean, yeah, those mob guys never did anything to anybody. They're they, fine. Yeah, their karma was good. But yeah, <laughs> uh, no, they came back, name only. Mm. They get money from MGM. Mm. 
to make shitty movies. Right. So from 2013 up until the most recent thing, which was that reboot of Chucky. Right. They put out like 30 or 40 super low budget movies. Yeah. Three of them wound up in the box office. Now it's almost just like a, it's just like a fucking nostalgia thing. It's like they recognize that to dorks like us, that Orion circle appearing and that fucking song and that fucking, you know, that laser like logo that you put that in front of the new Bill and Ted and I'm like, uh, let me get a little fucking nerd boner. You know, it's like, do they reckon before Chucky? They do. They recognize it, but they right. don't recognize that the dorks like us mm-hmm. are probably fucking dead inside. Yeah. And we're coming for you. Yeah. That's don't the, make us come over there. Don't make us come over there. Will. Orion Pierce. Oh, I will. Thank, thank you so much for that, Mel. I really, yeah. I, not Dude, to you, not to your, yeah, not to your ex girlfriend who you terrified, but I think if there's anything I can leave you with, if, do yourself a favor and YouTube the Mel Gibson leaving terrifying uh, messages on his ex girlfriend's voicemail uh, yeah. that she then gave to the media because they are, they are insane. <laughs> but yeah, I, oh, you know what? We need to do it. So, yeah. what's, what's okay. your blockbuster wall? What's your, what's your five? Blockbuster wall. Um, number five. <laughs> oh my Marsha You're going um, through puberty <laughs> <laughs> Number five Radio Days mm. I will never watch it again It's great though But what Yeah it's fucking great It's it is so great. good It, is so, it good. is so good Um, What's your number five Alex Ooh, This is tough Because Orion has a lot A lot I know I have a couple in there That I have to fucking have in there But I would say That my number five Is Amadeus. I love Amadeus. Tom Hulse, amazing breakthrough of that. It's amazing. It's Milos Forman's best movie. I know he's got a lot of great movies, but it's his best movie. I'm sorry. What's your number four, Nick? I'm going to go with a little Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You know what? Mine's going to be a little further up, but it's on there for me. If you've never seen, I know we brought it up in the time travel, but it's truly, I think at this point, like, I don't care if you've never seen it. You have to watch it. It's Keanu. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. It's it's about American culture, about history, about giving a shit about the future. It, giving a shit about the past means giving a shit about the future. It's it's important. It's important. I would say my number four is fucking. Were they screaming, Clarice? Could you hear them? Could you hear them screaming? Silence of the Lambs blew my fucking mind. Yeah. When I saw it as a kid, I when he's screaming. It puts the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. I started laughing and my mom was like, you're a monster. And I was like, I don't give a shit. This movie's amazing. This is Jonathan Demi's masterpiece. Yeah. Literally the culmination R. of the whole career. R.I.P. But man, really yeah. nailing it. Nailing about being funny, but also nasty and good and fucking everything working together and an anti-hero. And holy shit, is that movie fucking good? Going off of Jodie Foster being a bummer, he like registered that, and then he put her up against this like anti-hero Joker character. Oh, it's so good. Uh, what's your three? Would you put me in number three? I'd put me in number three. I'd put me in number three. Silence of the Lambs is my number three. Hells yeah. You know what? There's one that we didn't talk- Also, real fast, mm-hmm. it's my number three for one specific reason. Yeah. Charles Napier. Ooh. Interesting. Like, I'm running up against these because there's one movie we didn't talk about, which I'm a huge fan of. It's a movie called Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, fuck. Frank Oz, Michael Caine, Steve Martin. If you've never seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, it is one of the coolest, funniest, weirdest caper movies ever made. It's so good. So insane. 
it doesn't enter my top five. I think it's my six. I know that's crazy. I'll make that my six too. Yeah, because I love Dirty Rotten yeah. Scoundrels. I, that's it's, my Powerball. It's my yeah. power. It's our Powerball. It's our super play. Um, I would say my three is Throw Mama from the Train. It kind of made me want to be a writer when I was a kid. It kind of made me understand that movies could be something a little weirder than you normally saw. It made me want to watch Hitchcock movies. I had never watched them, and then I watched that, and I like was like, what? What are these? You know, crisscross, crisscross. And then I watched all these Hitchcock movies. It really inspired me. And I love Billy Crystal and I love Danny DeVito and I RIP uh, Anne Ramsey. I loved her. And I, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, what's your two? Oh, no, I forgot this. It's not even on my, it's not even on my top. It's Caddyshack. Oh, and I love Doug Keeney. I really do. He's in the 25th screen, I guess the best bet is you uh, play uh, 18 rounds and go home and uh, smoke the bejesus on it. Bill Murray may not even have a career if Caddyshack oh, doesn't he exist. he wouldn't. Bill Murray steals the shit out of that movie. Yeah, he does. In a movie full of everyone trying to steal the shit out of that movie. R.I.P. Harold Ramis. R.I. fucking P. I think that's my seven. I'm going to put that as my yeah. seven. I love Caddyshack. But for my two... Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <sighs> Bum 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 bum. Uh, He'll tear our fucking heart uh, out. Fucking James Cameron's fucking true debut, not Piranha Two. It is fucking the Terminator. I'm a friend of Sarah Connors. I heard she was here. May I see her, please? She's uh she's in the back. You have to wait until the morning. I'll be back. Fuck. Like the Terminator. Like it's listen. On the wall, it's, it's like have a little thing on it. Like, if you've never seen this movie, you're stupid. You're an idiot. Like, see Terminator. You don't like movies then. You don't like them. You don't enjoy movies. You've never seen How Terminator. Big is this sign? I, I don't care. It's because okay. it has to be. Okay. Jesus Christ, okay. watch Terminator. Okay. Don't yell at me. Ah! <laughs> We're on the podcast together. Don't... I'm just saying, Terminator's. Terminator's great. It's great. It changed everything. It changed poetic, interesting action movie. There had been attempts at this, like First Blood. There had been movies that tried to do this, but nobody had ever really pulled it off all the way. And here's this first really, I mean, I guess Ridley would be very upset with me for saying that Alien also tried this, uh, and it did. But Terminator is something else, man. I watched it the other day. Super low oh, yeah. budget, but Six also and a half million dollars. Some of those scenes just in the beginning where Michael Ben is out running the cops, right? And there's the the camera thing where he has lights. Yeah, yeah. What year is it? What year is it? What? Like, oh man! And he's running through the, you know, and he puts his foot down with the Nikes on. I mean, like, there's truly James Cameron is the only director who still to this day I watch his shit and it literally makes my heart pick up. I've yeah. seen a scene a thousand times, but I watch it. Always it gets and you. I, Oh, the way it's moving. He moves the camera as fast as it's going so you can see it, but it still feels like it's going so fast. All the lights in frame, so everything feels so, like, electric and weird. He always has the actors fucking... Everyone's doing it dead serious. There's no comedy, action, Michael Bay bullshit. Everything is dead fucking serious. This is important. The lines are well-written, fucking... God, that part where Michael Ben is being interviewed in the fucking... It's a Cyberdyne Systems 9000. They fucking blew the fucking guy. God damn, we had beaten them. They were dead. Like, just the level of viciousness in his fucking voice to the cops. I'm like, this is great. This is so crazily good. And also Linda Hamilton's hair is so good. It's so good. It's like, just like the classic 80s mom cut. What the fuck? Uh, you're number two. My number one. Mm. I'm my number one. And you stole my goddamn steam. 
Oh, I'm sorry. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you just couldn't stop. I'm sorry. You couldn't stop. You do whatever you want, man. I'm fucking, I'm willing to listen to whatever Terminator thoughts you have. Well, number one is obviously desperately seeking Susan. Mm. It's the Terminator. Number one's the Terminator. Yeah. It is classic. You could never not like that movie that once you like it. Yes. You can go back to it a thousand fucking times. It's always going to be good. And it's not just the three main actors. You got Lance Hendrickson. You got fucking... Yes. Uh, the older black guy. I know. I know. He's always, I know. I'm doing He's it right so now. good. You got the guy who plays the doctor in the yeah. first three movies. Yes. You've got the dude from uh, Top Gun who's got, um, the Iceman's um, Laundry Night. Fuck it. Bill Paxton. <laughs> Bill Paxton is the only actor who's been killed by a Terminator, a Predator, and an alien. All right? He deserves his goddamn moment in the sun. <laughs> Paul Winfield, thank you. Yes. Paul Winfield. Yes. He's fucking awesome in that. Yeah. He's the dude who's got a cigarette in his mouth and goes, give me a cigarette. <laughs> True. Great liar. Yeah. The movie's amazing. Like, he's talking about getting your heart pumping up. The yeah. part where he's asleep in the car and they're yeah. doing the construction, and it's the flashback, flash forward. Yeah. To him running through the fucking battlefield, and then he wakes up and he fucking cocks oh the shotgun. Oh, my God. So good. Those flashbacks, yeah. they look so good. They still stand up. They stand so- up. God, those, oh, dude. Okay, you have to see Terminator. Yeah. Also, uh, though, real fast, there's also just really quiet moments in that movie that are great. Yeah. Like when f- fucking uh, Linda Hamilton's trying to get away from him. Yeah. And she's just biting into his hand, and he's, yeah. like, just taking it. He's sitting yeah. there, and he just goes, they don't feel pain. Yeah. I do. Yeah. And it looks, because of the technicality of- G- Stan Winston, R.I.P. Absolutely. But the technicality of James Cameron and Galen Hearn and what they were capable of doing is, like, it's so technically skilled- that you, even 35 years out, it's still amazing. Um, all right, my number one, I'm going to be a dick. I'm going to be a dick. I'm going to be a dick on my number one. Because my number one is two movies. I'm doing it, okay? I'm being a shithead, okay? It's two movies. I already said Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, very possibly up there as like, if like, they're holding a gun to my head, fucking, and they're like, you say your favorite movie! You say it! I'm like, Ted, Theodore, Logan, Bill Preston, Esquire. You're fucking, uh, George Washington, what? Oh, the Hall of Presidents. Oh, yeah, Ted, what did he say at the Hall of Presidents? He said, Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> um, fucking do yourself a favor. Just do yourself a favor. I'm not even going to go. I've been Bill and Ted. But also, the opposite of the spectrum. Fucking dead or alive, you're coming with me. Fucking the other one, the beginning of the satire action movie, the beginning of the action movie that is hyper violent on purpose, the beginning of the action movie that's trying something weird, trying something to mind fuck you. There is no looper. There is no fucking the Marvel movies and all their fucking bananas, fucking time travel mayhem fuck with you, but also make jokes and be self-aware. None of this exists. None of this enters the mainstream without RoboCop. Like... Verhoeven came up with something that kind of RoboCop is kind of a genre of movies that did not exist before. It like didn't exist. And Verhoeven created a fucking genre and it was fucking amazing. And the same thing you need to watch RoboCop. What's your number one? God damn it. I just did number one. It was Terminator. I started. You I know, ended number I one. I know. I thought you maybe would have like a zero because I'm a dick. Okay. Stick well, then, to the rules. I know. I, it's hard with Orion because there were so many good ones. But yes, our blockbuster wall is a big mess. There's like, there's there's like, there's like seven movies and I put Caligula in one of them. We both have a Powerball number two. <laughs> All right, team. 
That's Orion Pictures in a nutshell. I love the shit out of all of you. We'll be back in one week. Fucking drive your car real fast. Do drugs. You never know when any of this is going to collapse. Fucking, I love you all. We'll see you in one week. Blockbuster. Film school. Vote.